As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, got a hammer wrong. Arsenal deep six West Ham at the London Stadium with fans streaming away like three o'clock on a Saturday. We pay our respects as the Gunners bring the hammers down and also salute Sheffield United, the remarkable Bruno Guimaraes and the actual magic at the Asian Cup final. Plus, blue cards versus Crouchy doing the robot. We report on football's future at a crossroads. It's the Tony Football Show. Sunday the 11th of February and it's brand new Totally Football show. Joining us today, Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. Hello, everybody. Uh, you're looking very happy today. Very happy. For reasons Sunday. we'll be getting into very shortly. Michael Cox, also with us. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Lovely to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. Good. <laughs> and a very big hello to Mark Carey of the Football Tactics Podcast. Hello, James. You're in your Football Tactics Podcast seat today, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I've got to keep it exactly the same. I'm left back. Michael's right back. Nice, nice. Okay, because you do that together. And it uh, be interesting to see how you bring that tactical... Now, so possibly noose even to today's. I'm genuinely not sure which it is. It's got to be now, hasn't it? Is it now? Okay. I think so. Adrian, of course, in terms of podcasts, mm. you're, you're going to be doing the What the EFL. And I, mm. I mentioned that A to give it a shout it's out, but kind. also so we can crowbar in a mention of Southampton because on Thursday we were talking about that incredible team move followed by a thunderbolt. Uh, the, from whatever game that was. But what have they gone and done this week? Well, they were losing 2-0 uh, at half-time to Huddersfield, pretty terrible team in the Championship. Then they pulled it back. Then they were losing 3-2, and they end up winning 5-3. It was an extraordinary game. Um, and it featured one of the volleys of the season, without doubt, from Joe Rothwell. <laughs> and it, he has creamed it. Over comes the corner. Nichols punches away and driven the goal. What a goal it is too from Joe Rothwell. Beautiful goal to watch. You've got to check it out. And yeah, what the EFL will be out on uh, on Wednesday after wow. the uh, midweekers. Twenty-five games unbeaten. We were talking about the Southampton uh, way. As, as the I, club I saw them last week in a flesh at Rotherham, and they were a joy to watch. It wasn't just about the the pretty passing and the the, the, the highlights reel. They're actually really hard working, and they sort of they're a little bit like City, where they sort of as soon as they lose it, they're they're at it and they win it back. They look the real deal. They're, right. they're miles better. 
than when they were in the Premier League. Put it that way. In terms Are they better than Burnley were in the Championship last year? That's a good question. Wow. Probably more sophisticated. Really? But I couldn't say they're better because okay. they, haven't, they haven't won the league, have they? Mm. Okay. That's uh, what the EFL. Anyway, uh, Premier League is going to be dominating the conversation today. Match day 24. A weekend that's seen, amongst other things so far, a huge win for Arsenal at the London Stadium, which sees them keep pace uh, with Man City and Liverpool, who both won on Saturday against Everton and Burnley. Villa had their third straight defeat at home to Manchester United. Elsewhere, Sheffield United beat Luton, blowing the relegation battle slightly ajar. There was yet another late-late goal from Spurs against Brighton. Uh, yet another 3-2 defeat for Forrest, this one sparked by Guimarães' exquisite volley. And loads of other things as well, which we'll hopefully touch on. Aside from the fact that Brighton have an assistant manager who enjoys cosplaying Jurgen Klopp, what do we learn <laughs> From this weekend, Michael. And the voice of Sean Dyche as well. I oh, feel. does he have that? Well, he, he lost his voice from shouting so much. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> hadn't. Yeah. I mean, quite interesting. Do you need to train your voice in kind of academy levels before you're ready to shout? Yeah. In a Premier League game? Because he, he could barely speak. It was I quite incredible. Of, what's the point of the shouting? Because you're in a stadium with 60,000 people. How... Really, the only, the only people that can hear, hear the coach is the sta- when you're standing next to them. So a lot, of the, a lot of that shouting was in vain, I would imagine. I mean, in the second half of West Ham Arsenal, probably the players could hear every word. But, <laughs> uh, but as, a, as a former pro yourself, Adrian, yeah. could you, can you not hear when the managers are shouting? Not stuff? really, no. Oh. You can't really hear much, no. It's, especially when it's a, a good atmosphere. So, right. yeah. And, and yeah. of course, Deservey was away because of dental surgery. Yeah. So he won't be shouting much, I would suspect, for a good no. few days. Particularly invasive yeah. dental uh, surgery. Mark, anything you you spotted this weekend? Well, from that Brighton game, I thought it was it was interesting um, that that Brendan Johnson finish at, at the end of the game. Michael and I were talking about how from the goals scored this weekend, um, how many we could have potentially scored as, <laughs> as amateurs. And we mentioned that Johnson one, even though it as was... one the, that you could have scored. As one that we couldn't have scored because it was quite a difficult finish, wasn't it? When you think about how much it was bouncing and he that just basically had to goal. just make good contact. And it looked from his celebration that... He was just relieved, yeah. Rather than actually thinking, I've scored the winner here. Well, I, I couldn't have scored that because I would never have got to the fast stick in time. <laughs> Keep it, keeping up with Son on that. On but that yeah, he mentions this in his in his post game. I mean, with the background of the, of the fact that it hasn't been the most amazing season of his. And that chance comes to him, and he's just thinking, "I've got to keep this down." But he, I think, finished he's, beautifully, maybe he's worried he? about the celebration police. You know, they've been out in force really? lately, haven't they? You know, yeah. he probably just thought, "I better not go too far here." I'll just it, Which, it was a good um, finish, though. How, I'm not sure how many goals were scored this weekend, but a lot. How many of them did you think you could have scored? <laughs> well, well my my original point was that the Declan Rice goal is the most spectacular goal that I can imagine scoring. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I think any half, if the ball's rolled into you like that, coming across, you can kind of get a nice side foot and get the curve on it. Whereas there's certain goals, I mean, I would have bottled that Johnson mm. one right. without question. Mm. Some of the headed goals I thought were great this weekend. The O'Shea one was great. Mm-hmm. The Nunes one with the neck muscles. Yeah. Could never do that. But sometimes you can just get a good one contact, I think, mm. you know? Guimaraes? That was a brilliant, because that was a brilliant routine. Mm-hmm. And the finish was lovely as well. Because he had to kind of, it was in a way slightly awkward finish, but also very beautiful the way he did it. Mm. But he could have completely miscued that. I thought it was a brilliant goal, the first one, I mean. Yeah, the first one. And the other one from a set piece being uh, Cher's one, which <laughs> maybe Newcastle have learned from the way that Everton play as well. Because there's something which my, my colleague John Muller said about the, the Dyche zone. When they're in that sort of situation, 
where they had the free kick from was was quite deep. And normally you think in and around the halfway line, you just play a simple pass and kind of progress up the field. But they had a a long, free, a deep free kick that they played into the box, got the, the header, I think, from Botman and a brilliant finish from Shah as well. But it seems like, I think Eddie Howe said after the game as well, he credits the, the coaching staff for mm. noticing that that's, okay. that's a good way to score. Yeah. And I think Nottingham Forest have the, the worst set-piece record as well. Oh, they do, yeah. They do indeed. Yeah, Excellent. We'll, we'll come, on, come back to that game a little bit later on, but uh, let's uh, kick off our coverage of Match Day 24 with that West Ham Arsenal. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's Ben White this time. And hit brilliantly by who else? Declan Rice, who is restrained in his celebration of a sixth goal for Arsenal. Ooh, Benji. West Ham nil, Arsenal six, their fourth straight victory. Uh, Their biggest ever Premier League away win. West Ham's joint heaviest home defeat ever, and all sorts of other incredible stats about this game. Here's one of the things I found really surprising watching this match. How did Arsenal twice lose to this West Ham team? Well, I think that in the in the first Premier League game where where West Ham won, I think it was heavily against the the run of play, so to speak. And I think this is maybe comeuppance for that because the, a number or a stat which I really like from that first game was that Arsenal had 77 touches in West Ham's box, the most by a team without scoring in a Premier League game since Opta started collecting that metric in 2008-9. Yet they didn't score, obviously. And now in, in the game that we've just seen, 6-0 maybe suggests that across a, a bit of a bigger sample that you they were both two 4-0 games probably. So yeah, it's just kind of all come at, at once and they probably deserve to to get six points rather than three across those two games. Yeah, the weird one was the previous one rather than yeah. rather than this, which was after the first half hour when West Ham did what you felt they were what you expected them to do, they just did nothing. Yeah, the goals were so bad from West Ham's perspective. I mean, to you play against Arsenal, I know Arsenal have a good set piece record, but side like West Ham shouldn't be conceding two goals from set pieces. They shouldn't be done over like, over the top with a simple ball like how they conceded the penalty. It was very odd. I mean, David Moyes sides usually have their limitations, but you don't really think of a David Moyes side getting really thrashed like that. So I thought it was quite concerning, actually. I mean, mm. Arsenal, I thought, played good football. It kind of goes with what you said. I, I didn't think this was actually one of their better displays of the season. I think they played better than this and scored two or three, but... I mean, some of the finishes were fantastic. I really like the, the Saka one when he cut inside. He's so good at receiving the ball in that precise situation where he's moving towards the goal. Again, I mean, the defending to let him inside was pretty poor, but his goal-scoring return really is, is starting to be really impressive now. Arsenal received a lot of criticism for over-celebrating. Mm. We, we received criticism last week for under-celebrating Arsenal, <laughs> uh, ironically <laughs> enough. And a little bit maybe we're doing it there by, yeah. by talking about how how lacklustre West Ham, how, how, how little fight they once, certainly once the second goal had gone in, it looked like they were just standing around a bit. But how magnificent were the Gunners, Adrian? I thought it was just, yeah, supremely controlled performance. It was exactly what Mikel Arteta has been building. I, ju- I just think, take yourself back to when Arteta took the job and where Arsenal were. You know, a team that couldn't really score goals, were, were, were struggling badly to, to produce slick football. We're very much mid-table at times. You know, early on in that first season under Mikel Arteta, it was, it was really tough to watch. So from, from where they were to where they are now is, is incredibly different. Um, yeah, I loved the performance. I thought 
it featured some pretty special individual displays. I think the Erdogan was great. I thought he, I think he made seven chances, 107 accurate passes. He was, he was class. Um, Saka, I love that goal too, because the keeper was completely flummoxed because he's every time Saka pretty much goes fast stick, doesn't he? And he just lashes it near post. It was very, very, uh, very, very on trend, Mark. Yeah, I'm obsessed with near reverse near post oh, shots lately. I, I did a piece on it fairly recently, yeah. and it's it, it it looks so simple when you actually yeah. see it. And Ariola was just, just stood up; he didn't even dive because yeah. he just basically gave him the eyes. I suppose is the yeah. old yeah. old way of saying it. But it seems to be something that's on the rise in the Premier League. Why reverse? Well, it's as though you know you're shaping to go oh, far okay. post, but and you, you just suddenly reverse and, and mm, contort yeah. your body almost at the extreme. It goes through the legs of a of a defender as well, doesn't it? This was great because of the keeper's reaction. He sort yeah. of took a step right and was like, oh, "You've yeah. done me." It's so satisfying <laughs> to watch. Yeah, isn't it? I thought. Yeah, I thought Edgar was great. Saka was superb. He had eight shots, by the way, in that game. Love the fact that he ran in behind West Ham, which is something Arsenal couldn't have done very much since they've had boys as a manager. Great pass from Trossard, who's another one I would have picked out. Lovely goal. Enjoyed him as that sort of floating number nine uh, in the game. And obviously, you've got to mention Declan Rice. Mm. Never had uh, two assists in the Premier League match, never had involvements in three goals. And, and I applaud the fact that he, he sort of kept that straight face after spanking one in from 30 yards. That took some doing, I'd imagine. Mm. But he probably thought Coxie could have scored that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're right. Yeah. Right. yeah, he could have. Yeah. Fourth win in a row for <laughs> Arsenal. And the 6-0 scoreline means that they've now moved level with Manchester City on goal difference. Is that huge or is it just a little future footnote come the end of the season? Do you think... Could we get to a point in May where that sixth goal becomes key? I don't think so. I think with three teams battling together, I don't. I don't think so. But I, but do you think three teams are going to be battling together? Uh, so this I, is last Sunday. That's what we were. We were saying great win against Liverpool. Bizarre goals, but are Arsenal going to be in the title race? They backed up that performance in in remarkable fashion. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think yeah, they've. They're certainly so strong defensively. We know that that's going to be more likely, make you more likely to to win titles or to be in a title push. I think that they're less likely to, quote unquote, bottle it as much as as last season. I think that they'll they'll take it further down the the line before maybe they they don't win the league. I think Man City are just ominous, but uh, yeah, I think they'll be closer this season than last season. Just picking up on something Coxie said about obviously West Ham being atrocious and they were poor in the game, but. If that was City or Liverpool that produced a 6-0 spanking of West Ham, who were, what, seventh at the start of play? Great home record. If they'd have produced that performance, I think everyone would be turning around saying, what a team they are, mm. wouldn't they? I mean, No, you're absolutely right. And yeah. what a team Arsenal were today. Yeah. And have been for, what, four games now? I think so. Yeah, the, yeah. the trip to Dubai has, has been was perfect timing. They needed it big time. But I think even if it was City or, or, or Liverpool, mm. whoever they were playing, mm. the sight of those West Ham players not challenging for for balls, not going in for, for tackles, even with the scoreline only, what, 1-2-0 down, it did feel like something was broken. And there's not been any suggestion of mm. changes or anything like that imminent. But the fact that you then had a large, a significant portion of the of the crowd at the London Stadium making for the exit before even half time. Just yeah. remarkable. It was remarkable, yes. It's it was but they just I think everyone could see that there was no there wasn't going to be a Newcastle like comeback. There was no real heart heart in, in this West Ham performance, was there? Um so yeah, they, the supporters gave up on their team. It's as simple as that. And they didn't 
didn't have that faith and it's difficult, I think, for, for, for that home team when they see so many empty seats in the second half. It must have been quite demoralising. I uh, think the, the thing is, if you're a West Ham fan, and I know you discussed this on Thursday with an actual West Ham fan, <laughs> but to me, the thing is, like, with Moyes, he's never been one for good, positive football. He's always been fairly cautious and conservative. But it's like he's not so cautious and conservative and defensive that it actually becomes, like, a pantomime villain thing. You know, he's not Allardyce or Pulis or Dyche or Warnock, where you can really go, yeah, we're going to be, you know, the anti-hero kind of thing. It's almost, it's just, it's just quite passive at times. You know, there was no sense. I mean, they played, some teams in that kind of defensive-minded state would have like a big striker play long balls. They had Jared Bowen. I know Bowen's a very good player who can thrive on the break, but he was playing up against four centre-backs. I mean, Kirill and White were the two full-backs and then two centre-backs who scored a goal. You just couldn't really see how West Ham were going to cause them any problems. And neither could... David Moyes, apparently. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, well, there you go. Arsenal with that victory, staying in the mix, just behind Man City on goals scored, but two points behind Liverpool. City, of course, with that game in hand. City on Saturday were held by Everton until the 71st minute before they got their first shot on target, but ended up winning 2-0 with a, a fine brace from Erling Haaland. Liverpool... That same day, 3-1 winners at home to Burnley. Any thoughts on, on those two games? I thought the interesting thing from the Liverpool game was how good Kelleher was. He made two really good saves. It's a funny world being a backup goalkeeper because probably 50% of the time you don't see any minutes. And this is maybe the least crucial game of Liverpool season in terms of being at home to a side who I think could well finish bottom. But that two one-on-ones, Burnley. And two big saves. So, you know, come the end of the season, if it's two points, you know, people probably won't remember 3-1 win over Burnley. Didn't even think Liverpool played that well, to be honest. But Kelleher, yeah. He's really earned his... Everyone gets a medal now if they win the Premier League. You don't have to play 10 games. So he's earned his. And he's always deputised pretty well whether it's it's cup games or the the odd league game he's he's really he's a really good shot stopper like Allison but he's really strong with his feet like Allison he's really sort of integral to to Liverpool's build up when he plays as well but yeah i mean on michael's point i know this has been spoken about on this podcast before but Liverpool are still quite open at the back which is then question marks over whether they'll get caught out a little bit more in the the final few sort of games of the season where you look at Arsenal and you look at Man City and their expected goals, which is key to, to my role as a, as a data analyst, that in terms of expected goals, Arsenal and City give up less than one goal's worth of chances per game. Liverpool are at 1.2. So they're giving up over a goal's worth of chances every single game, which is, you know, in the crucial moments that could, could play against them. So that's maybe where the question mark lies. OK, so, so for you, if there is an extraneous party in this three-horse race, it's not Arsenal, but Liverpool. <laughs> Potentially. Um, but then you, you look at the other side of it and I know a lot has been spoken about Arsenal and they, they need a new strike and stuff. This game today probably suggests that they don't and I've, I've argued the fact that they don't anyway. But Liverpool have such a strong attacking unit as well. They've right. got goals coming, they, three different goal scorers across the forward line this weekend as well that it's it's taking both in, into consideration. So maybe if they simply outscore the, the teams like they've done quite often, then, then that doesn't need to be as much of a problem. I think, I think when you look at the, the matches that Arsenal and Liverpool have played against each other this season, I think Arsenal have shaded it. They've looked, they've looked the stronger team for, mm. for most of those matches. So when people dare to say that Arsenal will be closest challengers to City, they often get shouted down. But right. I, I personally, and 
I know that people will say I'm a little say bit it, biased. They'll say I've, you know, I've got my, you know, red tinted spectacles on, but I think Arsenal are slightly better than Liverpool, but well, not as good as Manchester. They both City. play in red, though. So yeah. <laughs> this is true. This yeah. is true. By the way, two great headers in this game. Should oh, yeah. mention that. I mean, unbelievable from Nunes. Dara O'Shea's was great, and, and Dara O'Shea. Did you know that he's the fifth fastest player in the Premier League? Uh, to do what? <laughs> He's the fifth fastest player. Oh, just in terms to of run. Running. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. yeah. The only faster players are Mickey van der Ven, Chidozi oh, yeah. Ogbene, uh-huh. Pedro Neto and Dominic Schoboslai. All right. So yeah. in the NFL, they used to do a sprint challenge, didn't they? And I think in the Americans are quite good at yeah. kind of properly codifying this kind of thing. Is there such a fun, thing in the Premier League? Do they get... There is. Yeah, they have cameras in the stadium um, okay. to to be able to to quantify that. All right. Oh, wait, oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah okay. the, the top speeds are measured. Um, right. Yeah. Of um, course they are. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. everything's measured these days. Yeah. I, th- I thought you were talking about having an actual race. Yeah. Like a sprint I mean, that's, race. That's what I meant because they used to do that. I think maybe the Pro Bowl or something. They they would get the players together and. That'd be amazing. They do like that with mascots, crucially, but not players. Why yeah. not players? Yeah. Is my point. I think Van der Ven would smash it, wouldn't he? I mean, do you think? So quick. Is he the fastest? He's the fastest. Is he? Yeah. By quite a bit. All right. His top speed is 37.38 kilometres per hour. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The next fastest is Ogbené at 36.93. So it's quite a, quite an actual big difference. But would the race be 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, 100 yards? Then I think you get... That's the thing. It's blown up on social media last week because of the Mickey van der Ven one. But it's, it's different types of physicality, isn't it? Because if you want a, a nippy winger who's quick off 10 yards yeah. versus van der Ven's recovery pace it's two different things of the you know top speed the whole of social media last week was uh, was absolutely blown but no up. no one would have realized Dara O'Shea was that fast no. <laughs> I think uh, Jeremy Doku's the fastest player I've ever seen over like three yards <laughs> three yards. I would yeah. I would pay to see that race every Premier League football <laughs> over three <laughs> yards <laughs> probably a photo finish I would <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, so as you were with the top three, but emphatic stuff from Arsenal. Next up, uh, let's have a quick word on some other things, including the other game on Sunday, which saw Man United victorious again away at Villa Park. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Akam Afif with a chance to give Qatar the lead here in the Asian Cup final. Afif finds the bottom corner, and it's more magic 
from Akram Afif. Saturday saw Qatar retaining the Asian Cup with a 3-1 win in the final over Jordan. All three goals for the host nation in this triumph were penalties. I know that aroused your suspicions, Adrian, but you've seen them. I've seen them and I, You're I happy with them. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm okay. happy that they were. You were particularly were happy correct. with the first one, which the scorer of all three, Akram Afif, celebrated with a quite remarkable uh, gesture. Well, it took us back, didn't it? When we, when we, when we watched it, it was like, whoa, what just happened there? What just happened? So he produces a uh, player trading card, Mark. But then waves his hand and it becomes the letter S. He does he, he does magic. He did an actual magic. He trick. did actual wow. magic. As his goal celebration. Yeah. It, was, it was extraordinary. I need to watch this. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it, Michael, you've seen a bit more of this game than we have. Anything you'd like to add about Qatar and their back-to-back Asian Cup triumphs? I mean, overall, it was quite a poor quality tournament from what I saw. But the final was really good, really mm. open. Thought Jordan, who I knew nothing about coming to this tournament, uh, played really well. Quite unlucky to, to go down 3-1. I mean, I think, uh, to be fair, I think Qatar actually deserve a great deal of credit for the footballing side of things. I know we've inevitably discussed them for a decade in terms of their hosting the World Cup, but for them to win this tournament back-to-back in a competition that has Japan and South Korea and Australia and Iran and some very good teams, and on top of that, they haven't done what I suspected they would do when they were awarded the rights to the World Cup, which is just bus over a load of kind of Brazilians not quite good enough to get into the team. They've got lots of players born outside Qatar, particularly from Africa. Um, but that is really what Qatar is all about. That is reflective of their population. And I mean, to be fair, they're absolutely terrible at the World Cup. Mm. I mean, just completely lost, uh, lost their nerve. But I mean, a side like Japan has 125 million population. Qatar's got two and a half million um, so to win it back to back is really impressive. Very good. Excellent. On uh, Sunday night, of course, it's the AFCON final, which is happening more or less as we record this. So we'll be reacting to that in our European uh, Totally Football show, which we'll be recording actually on Monday afternoon because Champions League's back. So we'll get that out early. We're going to be covering some pretty big games in that European edition of the Totally Football show because uh, this weekend saw. The top two meeting in both Spain and in Germany, where uh, Real Madrid pasting uh, Girona 4-0, with what uh, some are hailing as a, the decisive blow in the in the title race. And in Germany, scenes, Michael. <laughs> scenes as Bayern. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. Bayern were extraordinary, no? Yeah, I mean, it was a brilliant game. Leverkusen just a much better side than Bayern. I must admit, I'm not generally a massive Bundesliga watcher, but I love Leverkusen this season. Right, They're you so you you tweeted high um, praise for Alex Grimaldo, who's been one of the, the signings of the season. Came on a free, didn't he? Yeah, free from Benfica, and I must say, I, I don't remember that like, the transfer didn't catch my eye at all. Mm. I didn't didn't think about it, but I mean, he's played 21 league games this season. He's scored eight goals and he's got nine assists. I don't think any of them are penalties. And some of the goals, just mad angles, mad distances. The one at the weekend was brilliant because it shows what he's all about. He's not just a touchline hugger who crosses it. He really gets into that channel. And the finish was from about eight to ten yards. But the amount of swerve he got on it past Neuer, 
It's a brilliant goal. His and technique's fantastic. They're, they're such a good team, Leverkusen. Really, really good team. Third goal was fun as as well with yeah. Neuer who bombed up the other end. And uh, Fringpong, who you think is going to be clear through on goal, but three Bayern players get back. And then he pulls off. I guess it was a near post as well, that one, but not really a reverse. <laughs> not a reverse. It did make me question why Neuer actually went up for the for the corner in the first well, place. Exactly. Because when you're 2-0 down, it's mm. even if he were to score, it's just, just contained maybe. You know? I, I think there's almost a bit of like... You know, the macho lads like him and Muller mm. trying to really show themselves a bit. Mm. I thought that was a bit weird. And, you know, James said earlier in relation to one of the Premier League games, could that sixth goal be crucial? I mean, yeah, that's a two mm. goal difference yeah. swing. That could mm. be crucial. I was amazed he did that. Bizarre. Interesting. Anyway, more on that in Tuesday's show as we look ahead to the Champions League last 16 and the Europa League playoffs. Michael, uh, sorry, just before we get back on to the Premier League, you're also about to drop a piece on the Champions League and why it's ripe for an outsider victory again this season. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think the quality of the big teams in the Champions League is probably the lowest it's been for quite a while. Mm. I mean, I think even if you just look at the Premier League, usually that's one with, or recently it's been 90 to 95 points. This will be the lowest points total almost certainly since Leicester won it. And you look at the big teams, I mean, the champions of Spain, uh, Barcelona have dropped off completely, champions of Italy... Uh, Napoli have dropped off completely. Um, and when you also look at what's going to happen next year mm. with this Swiss League thing coming on, that's going to be make it even more difficult for the outsiders. So by definition, it's an outside chance that it's going to happen. But if if any team is going to do like what Porto did in 2004... Could it be Porto mm. 20 years on? I think maybe... I think PSV could be quite good, actually. Really? I mean, they won... They've kind of... Dipped a bit, but they won their first 17 games of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 16. 16, I think sorry. it was 16. And they're so far clear that they can yeah. afford to put their eggs a bit more into the basket. Do you remember when they played Arsenal and they looked yeah, that very was, one-dimensional? Yeah, that, that was um, that's a little bit worrying. I mean, probably not a, a real outsider at all because they got to the final last year. But it could be seen for someone like Inter. Mm. You know, like a proper team. Because the Champions League last 10 years, it's been, I think it's been incredibly about like one individual. You know, the Benzema of Real Madrid, obviously Ronaldo, Messi, Lewandowski has just completely won games on his own. I don't see that many players capable of doing that at the moment. So many of them have gone to Saudi Arabia or to the MLS or retired. There's only one footballer in Europe who has won the Ballon d'Or, and that's Luka Modric, who's 38. Like, no one else is on that level we're accustomed to in the Champions League. Wow. So, I don't know what will happen, but I think it will be a good one because there's a few teams like... Real Sociedad, for example. Yeah, take you on PSG. Yeah, <laughs> who could you do know, it, you know. Sometimes just a good unit, a good solid unit against PSG can mm. do the job. All right. This uh, this week, this uh, Man City will be taking on Copenhagen and what will be the Danish side's first uh, match in, a, in two months because they're on their winter break, which is a bit of a shame because they were so much fun in the group stages. Elsewhere, you've got Bayern against Lazio. Uh, RB Leipzig host Real Madrid and PSG against Real Sociedad. Anyway, we'll talk about that more on Tuesday. Sunday's other game, meanwhile, was uh, Aston Villa's defeat at home to Manchester United. Scott McTominay belching from the bench, as I, I thought Peter Drury described it. And I, I thought, yeah, wise words, Peter. But, um, but anyway, coming in and, uh, and scoring from a de- delightful Diego Dallo cross, the winning goal. Mark, you enjoyed this game. Yeah, I thought it had quite a lot of ebb and flow to to the game. I think that neither side were really truly dominant for 
for a lot of the game. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a, it was a good one. One thing that I I did notice, which isn't truly reflective of the the scoreline in the end, that I think United were getting frustrated with the fact that they we know so much about Villa's high line. They always catch teams offside, and for quite a lot of the game, United just kept getting caught offside, and it was quite frustrating to watch when you you just think. I likened it to to the Tottenham Chelsea game when I was speaking to Michael about it. Just start a little bit deeper and make your run a little bit sort of later. And I, I looked into the numbers on it, and United were caught offside uh, six times in total, which was their second most of the season. And the most of the season was nine times in their three-two home win against Aston Villa. Mm. So it just felt like they just keep. They, they didn't learn from it, but of course they, they won the game, so it's potentially superfluous to the story. But I do think that it was a bit of a trend of that, that game and the previous one. Yeah, they, they had the front three to undo the high line, didn't mm. they? So, yeah. so I don't blame them for trying it. You know, yeah. the three quickies up there, all, all in good form. Um, but we saw Ho- Hoyland score at least. Oh, yeah. um, it wasn't to do with five in that. five now? Yeah, he's, he's on fire. It was, so, Adrian, yeah. you, you've written a piece about mm. last Christmas and, and what it brought for... <laughs> For that Manchester United front line, well, the front that front three between them um, scored three goals before Christmas, and since Christmas, in six matches, they've scored twelve goals. Um, it's extraordinary. So, sh- you know, they're having more shots. The, the conversion rates are sort of forty percent. You know, forty fifty percent, whereas previously, you know, they were ten percent or lower. That they're setting one another up as well. Rash, obviously, not in this game, but yeah, all, all three have hit form at the same time and I think that's definitely given the team a bit more uh, of an edge I think Manchester United in addition have been miles better without the ball um, of late so they're they're winning the ball back in good areas more often therefore releasing releasing them earlier so yeah they're they're heading in the right direction I thought it was a bit scrappy at times the Mm. game that's 40 shots which is extraordinary really Villa for me were, were probably the better team between both boxes but their the final pass, the final shot. There was, oh, Nana had a good game. Great. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, he made a couple of good saves. Some were straight at him. But, right. Um, yeah, he, he definitely made a, a step forward, didn't he? Some other standout moments. Douglas Louise, after scoring the equaliser, doing that shimmy in Nana's face. Not sure what the back yeah, backstory was to that. Yeah. And and also uh, the kind of extended. Shocked face routine that Casemiro did. It was extraordinary. To all four corners of the stadium. But did you catch what I'm doing? I'm going to do it to you it now. Might, it, it felt like it lasted almost a minute. Yeah. Didn't it? In terms of the shocked face, he did. He, he just kept. He kept in. He, he stayed As in character. He stayed in character for a long, long time. It, but I, I guess he was very, very shocked. And when we saw the replay, we did kind of understand it a bit because he would pulled out of the challenge. Uh, with Matty Cash, and yeah. for which he was... It was a brilliant dive, well, wasn't it? Brilliant dive. Cash, yeah. Brilliant yeah. dive. Yeah. Uh, excellent. OK, so uh, the TV people announced that Man United are very much back in the top four race. Everyone happy with that? Five points behind Villa? I'd be surprised. Really? I, I must say, I still think they've got a lot of issues. I didn't think they were great defensively. I thought Villa wasted a lot of chances. And it was just McTominay to the rescue again, as he's done quite a few times. You have to give him credit. I mean, he scored seven goals this season. He's only played 1,200 minutes. So he's scoring basically one every two games. But I mean, what Three weird, for Scotland as well. Yeah, what a weird situation. You take off Rashford and you bring on McTominay <laughs> and it gives you more goal threat. Yeah. A very strange team, Manchester United. Haven't they still got a zero goal difference? Am I right in saying? Might have made that up. No, I haven't. Zero goal difference. 24 games into the season. And we're talking about them maybe finishing top four. 
I still think they need to improve a lot to do that personally. All right, but heading in the right direction above them, of course, are Spurs, who reinforced their top four spot with a 2-1 victory on Saturday against Brighton. What an incredible finish to this game. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about the, the Johnson goal before. I think as much as anything, Ange Postacoglu will be pleased that his wide forwards are getting to the back post because I know it's a big part of the way that he likes his, his teams to play. It was a massive part of the way that um, he, he likes his team to set up at, at Celtic. So as much as anything, I think he'll be pleased with that. And Johnson's been getting better at that. I know that he scored a goal which wasn't back post, but he came from wide uh, against Wolves. And there was another goal that he scored this season that escapes me now. But he is starting to to learn his role a little bit more and, and get on the end of those there's, chances. There's no team, I don't think, in the division that, that score more goals like that mm. in terms of getting in beyond the defence. Because they create these 2v1s out wide, don't they? Um, we saw that in this counter-attack. And they get into that sort of... Uh, area where they can flash a ball across the six-yard box. And it's normally Richarlison on mm. the end of it. And if it's not Richarlison, which he normally is, then it's the opposite winger. They, it's it's a very defined style of play. And they score... I did a piece on Richarlison and sort of highlighted how similar so many of his goals have been this season. So, yeah, they, they're very exciting, Tottenham. I, I can't deny it. They, they're, they're a pretty thrilling team to watch. And, and what stood out for me, really, in this game was the bench. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like... Strong, really strong. You know, Johnson comes off the bench, Son comes off the bench, combined for the goal. You've got Basumas on there. You know, lots of players have had a lot of first team minutes. You know, Hoiberg, Emerson, Davis. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, depth there actually now. Mm. Um, now that players have returned from yeah, Africa Cup of Nations, Asian for me, Asian they're, they're, they're way ahead of Manchester United in terms of in terms of what what they're capable of this season. Spurs. Picking up points from a losing position for the third game in their last four, which is pretty amazing, particularly for a team who have got a manager who's never managed in the Premier League before, had to deal with a bunch of absences and had last summer sold off one of their greatest players ever. Yeah, it is amazing. It's, it's a great story. And and yeah, they're, they've made incredible strides. I, I just think that they give too many chances to the opposition to be considered in the same light as City, Liverpool and Arsenal. But but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a far better team, aren't they, this season? Yeah, and I think that's what made the game so interesting yesterday of just how many both teams, how many chances both teams gave up yeah. because we know how they both like to play, yeah. i.e. building out slowly from the back and both like to, to press really high and try and... Um, you know, yeah, win the ball high up as well. So there was quite a lot. There were about of, a thousand turnovers. In this yeah, game. there was quite a lot of transitional <laughs> moments, and I think that you know, just just touching on Brighton, of all of the the sides in the Premier League, I do feel like Roberto De Zerbi is the most, if not one of the most, dogmatic in the way that you can start to figure out how they're. Well, you know how they're going to play and you can start to then put in pressing triggers and, and traps to, to try and stop them. And Luton did it to, to great effect recently. Spurs did it as well. That you just think should there be a little bit more adaptability? It's still amazing the way that they play and when it works, it works really well, much like Tottenham, but could they be a little bit more adaptable? Yeah. Is that a red flag, I wonder, for, for him yeah. getting, you know, making that step up to, you know, a, a massive club? You know, because he's clearly... Oh, you mean in... in yeah, yeah Deserby. Yeah, mm. I, I, do, I, do, I do agree with that. And Arsenal absolutely suffocated them in that, yeah. in that performance at Emirates as well. So if you press them well, they're kind of stymied. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Almiron's corner. Oh, it's this really short ball back to Trippier, who's whipped the cross in. Bruno! Bruno! What a lovely finish! It looked as though they got the corner all wrong, but they got it absolutely right. The other uh, terrifically entertaining game Saturday afternoon was... A little bit later on at the City Ground, as Newcastle were three-two winners at at Nottingham Forest. Daniel's story pointing out that Forest have now lost three-two in a quarter of all their league games, which is remarkable, isn't there? <laughs> Real consistency. Uh, pretty consistent as well in their defending from set pieces, which was a problem here, mind you. That opening free kick, and I know we touched on it before, but let's do so again would have been hard, I think, for anyone to deal with because it wasn't just the magnificence of the touch from Guimaraes and the outside of his boot, but the the deception of the of the set-piece routine, yeah. drawing everyone out and then... It's twofold yeah. because it was planned, wasn't it? They've mm. identified a weakness in their marking setup, whereby they, they'll leave that space uh, free at the back or they, they're so man-to-man that, that if you all move this way that, that, then nobody's going to be around the back and I just think the way they manufactured it was smart and then you look at the execution of the cross you know whipping it in at a, a real pace and then the technique of the volley it's one of the best volleys I've seen in a long time I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Decanio, but obviously he didn't produce the hop and the skip, you know, with it. But it was, it was really difficult, high degree of difficulty, and uh, and he needed it because I don't think Bruno Guimaraes has been that great this season, really. But it's certainly a, a top performance from him. Has he not been that great this season? Probably not as comprehensive as, as last season. As last time, right? Um, but no, he had a, a really good beyond the the goals he scored, uh, a really good game. The, the other thing. The that's becoming an issue. Well, I don't know what you think. It's Dan Byrne at left back. Like, obviously, two weeks running, he's been absolutely roasted, hasn't he? And you just think, I don't know how he can stop it, basically. You know, Ogbene just tore him apart. And then here it was Alanga who got him behind him once and should have scored. And then got he ran, made a great run inside him, didn't he, for the goal that he did score. I just think, I don't like to say it, but I think it's curtains for Byrne next season. There's no way that Eddie Howe is going to stick with him at left back. Not not after what, what I've seen across the last couple of weeks. It's it's quite cruel, it's ruthless, but I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I think teams are starting to target him a little bit more. And I know that Forrest did really well in the reverse fixture of being really good on the on the transition. They scored a good couple of goals from that. But the alternative would be Tino Livramento, wouldn't it? And he is really good going forward but maybe not as strong defensively so it's kind of one or the other in terms of who do you want to go with but ideally if you've got the summer transfer window you'd have someone who can do both and I think maybe to your point that would be the case that that'll be where they look to strengthen. Alrighty uh, Forrest who maybe were a little bit hard done by given that they there was a big big shout for a penalty for Hwani on uh, or Drabavka would you 
No. Yeah, could have been a penalty. Could have. It? Probably more of a penalty than some of the other penalties that were given. Well, on Sassy particularly, yeah. Uh, but that defeat leaves them just two points off the drop. In fact, four of the bottom five did lose this weekend, limiting the damage. But boosting enormously the one side that did win down at the bottom. None other than bottom of the table, Sheffield United, who fresh from last weekend's 5-0 defeat against Aston Villa, went and beat Luton 3-1. So... This was quite a surprise in many ways. It was Sheffield United's first away win of the season. It was Luton's first defeat in seven matches. Again, is it going to be huge or a footnote come May? I think a footnote come May. I, I thought, yeah, this was an interesting game. I didn't watch the, the full game, but I watched the, the highlights. And I thought it was interesting to see that it was the first time that Sheffield United have gone two goals up in a Premier League game this season, which I think is just... Just nice to, to see as much as anything. But I thought it was interesting because Luton, they seem to be quite open at times and Sheffield United were able to get kind of in behind them. And I think that's quite rare for them. I know, Michael, you've seen them at home this season against more of the, the top sides. And is it because the onus was on them to, to open up a little bit, take the game to Sheffield United because Luton were the favourites in this game? I, I don't know, because they had 74% possession, Luton. So, yeah, the onus was on them, whereas... You've seen them be so, so strong and get the ball really wide and, and contain big sides at home, haven't you? Yeah, to be honest, I, I was going to say exactly the same. And I was going to copy what my friend who's a Luton fan said about it. He said this is the first time we've been favourites all season and our worst performance of the season. And yeah, Sheffield United were completely dominant, weren't they? And you realise actually, we've actually got some pretty tasty yeah. players. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sosa and, and Harmer in midfield are excellent. McAtee, I think even when they've been poor, has been bright on the break. And Osborne, who are kind of always forget about but he's he's got an eye for a pass he's quite a good player so that's a good four man midfield I mean I don't think they're going to stay up I think they're just too far adrift but yeah big blow for Luton because they've got some good results recently and also some good performances against the big teams even when they haven't got results Arsenal City but this they were it's massively outclassed it was an open goal the weekend wasn't it because all of their relegation rivals had really tough games so they would have, wouldn't have expected them to get any points theirs was you know, they should they should be beating Sheffield United. I've, I've watched them a few times in the flesh this season, Sheffield United, and then they're not good at the back. I agree with Michael. I was going to say something similar. I really like McAtee. Mm. I really like Vinny Sousa. There's something about Cameron Archer I like. I love the fact that after missing a really easy chance, mm. he runs through amazingly and, and produces a, a quality goal. Reverse near yeah, post yeah, shot. Yeah, reversed <laughs> it into the near stick, didn't he? Yeah, it was a, it was a beauty. Um, and Harm is a good player. I, I think, yeah, these are the guys that that will probably move on if and when they go down, I'd imagine. that They look Premier League players. But, yeah, I think this is a, a, a sort of a rare win. You think? So they remain seven points from safety, pending any further penalties for some of the teams mm, in true. that group. Yeah. Luton are a point clear of the bottom three with a game in hand. The other two sides in there, well, Everton, we mentioned before, defended gamely for 71 minutes, but eventually lost to Man City and Burnley had the Liverpool defeat. Uh, they're going to be having Arsenal over on Saturday, Burnley. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we shall see. As for Everton, their next game will be on the Monday when they host Crystal Palace. That's going to be quite big because Palace are now in and around that group as well. They're in 15th, uh, five points off the teams at the bottom. Mm. Huge win, though, for Brentford, who had themselves been drifting perilously close. They went to Molyneux and won 2-0. That's their first win outside of West London this season. 
I thought they were great as well. I thought they. I mean, again, I watched the the highlights, the extended highlights on it, and I thought that Wolves were quite poor as well. I must say, they were obviously weakened by the fact they didn't have a couple of their their strongest players, you know, at the top end of the field. But Brentford pressed them really high. They were they're really good at um, sort of pinning them in. And Ivan Tony's now scored. His record is one in two across the the whole time in, in the Premier League, which is shows just, just how strong yeah. brilliant finish and that's something I was going to say in terms of people might I, I could be wrong pigeonhole him as quite you know quite strong in the air but some of his finishes across his whole time in his career have been really quite diverse left foot right foot header the the goal against Leeds where he chipped the, the goalkeeper you know comes to mind as well but he is really diverse in his skill set and it's obvious that the, the top teams are looking at him but it's not just because he can hold the ball up well and he's strong in the air. He's really strong at all different types of finishes. Yeah. On Brentford, just quickly, I, th- I think they'd forgotten what worked for them so well when they first got into the Premier League in recent times. And it was that, being aggressive. They were hard to play against, weren't they? They were always they were just awkward last season. And for me, the last few months, they've been passive and soft touch really they haven't won many duels you know in the air on the ground and this one it just felt like they really took it to Wolves and they caused some problems so yeah fair play very nice the only other game so far this weekend was again on Saturday when Fulham beat Bournemouth 3-1 many people can't work Fulham out this season Michael it's a team that can beat Forest 5-0 West Ham 5-0, 5-0, lose at home to Burnley, uh, do this to Bournemouth, which, I mean, nobody beats Bournemouth 3-1 apart from the likes of City and Liverpool, no? So uh, who are Fulham, Michael? I don't know. I mean, I think they, they're they quite interesting because they've got a team full of players who are just, for me, obviously not top level. I don't, With the exception of Paulinho, I don't think any of them going to be moving to big clubs. Right. But they're all William quite, was top level. But they're all nice, to, yeah, for yeah. sure. But they're all nice to watch. Right. You know, I think I think Pereira is a lovely technical player. Cordova Reed always just pops up 15 minutes from the end of match of the day and scores a nice goal. Right, <laughs> right. He's got nice, you, nice footballers. Who Kearney. Was the, who was the player who you said was top level? Paulinho. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is class. What, what I find interesting is that they spent five million on um, bringing in Breuer on loan. And then they don't start him, which is like feels like a little bit of a waste of money. And then the guy that's under pressure for his place gets the brace, Rodrigo Muniz. So, mm. so basically, all that that money they spent on Breuer has just sort of perked up the player they had they had already. Well, yeah, he, he may prove useful down the line. Oh no, of course but, he will. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's a good. It, it, Breuer will add to them. I thought it might have been touch of the week. I don't know if you could have produced this touch, Michael, uh, from Sonesi. Brilliant. How did he spin so quickly? It was amazing, wasn't it? Fantastic. You got that in your locker? Absolutely not. (laughs) We used both feet, which is, that would flummox me to start. (laughs) It was, I mean, how many goals from set pieces were there this week? Loads. Well, I don't know the exact number, but the amount of teams who scored from set pieces, so Manchester City, Bournemouth, Manchester United, Arsenal, Burnley, Liverpool, Brentford and Newcastle. And then the the Luton and Sheffield United penalties came from corners. Mm. So I don't know when the last time that happened as well, but it was it just felt like it was a weekend uh, of set pieces. Yeah, right. No draws this weekend as well, Mark. No draws as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, on on the note of Fulham as well, when you ask the question, you know, what are Fulham? I don't know whether really anyone has the answer. And I was thinking about it in terms of the equivalent of Crystal Palace, who Michael, I know you've done a piece on recently in terms of them being consistently there or thereabouts of twelve to to fourteenth and. I don't know, are Fulham kind of 
in danger, quote unquote, of doing the same? Are they going to maybe push for spending a bit more money and trying to push for Europe in future seasons? Or are they content being where they are and consolidating more for a few years? I don't know, because they've not actually been in the Premier League that long. So are the Fulham fans happy with them being consistently inconsistent? I don't know. <laughs> well, I find out for the Fulham fans at Craven Cottage, less so for the Cherries, who are now five Premier League matches without a win. Excellent. The other thing from this weekend as we await Crystal Palace Chelsea on Monday evening uh, that we should maybe mention is the whole blue cards for Rory. Because I missed all of this because mm. I follow all the wrong people on social media. <laughs> Didn't know about uh, Van der Ven being the fastest player in the Premier League or any of this stuff. <laughs> so the blue cards bit is IFAB saying that they are looking at bringing in blue cards for a 10-minute spell in a putative sin bin. For dissent or cynical fouls. Michael, you, I think, tweeted that a piece that somebody else had written uh, about its implementation at grassroots level and the fact that there it had been really successful. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole coverage of this has been so bad. Okay. I mean, it's just been completely misinterpreted, I think. The first thing to say is that Simmons have been trialled uh, at lower levels of the, of the non-league game for the past four or five years. The main proposal here is simply bring in a card so it's clear what that punishment is. So the cards will be used at grassroots level for the sim bins? Yeah. Not in any other competition They brought the, No, they spoke about uh, potentially expanding up the leagues, but not to top-level games okay. at all. And actually, there's a really... Or, well, there's an interesting article that, you're right, I tweeted by Philip Buckingham, one of our colleagues who did a feature on it in grassroots uh, level. There's also quite an interesting article in the non-league paper today which is the best sports publication in Britain, mm -hmm. in my opinion, <laughs> where they surveyed, I think, 10 or 12 uh, managers and referees about it. And it was actually quite a mixed reaction. It was quite interesting. Some of them thought it had been really effective and kept dissent down. Others thought it was used inconsistently, although I think you could say that about anything in refereeing. So, I mean, having looked at that reaction, I'd be reluctant to see it brought in. But I think it's worth... Um, Worth dialing down our outrage. One one now. thing that I kind of picked out from that article was that referees saying or, or observers saying that you'll often have a player who's the red mist has descended and that 10-minute spell on the sidelines will allow him to kind of, him or her to kind of clear their head. And it did strike me that maybe in that regard it is something that might be suited to grassroots football, but Premier League or higher levels where... TV coverage and the amount of coverage, the amount of eyes on a game kind of enforces its own... Yeah. Uh, policing of, of, of the the way players approach the kind of danger that at grassroots levels that referees could even be in. I, um, I think yeah, I think I you're agree. right. I think the the one counterpoint to that is a slight problem at non-league level has been the fact that at that level you don't have fourth officials, mm. and obviously they're the best person to kind of man the the sin bin. Sin bin. So who who actually runs the sin bin? Well, the referee has to. I don't know. You know, like on your Casio watch when you can do two different stopwatches. Right, right. He presumably has to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be reluctant to see it rolled out imminently. But okay. it has been a little bit too much like, oh, the game's gone. Jamie O'Hara, who I must read this tweet out. He tweeted in response, blue cards getting introduced. The game is absolutely gone. Seriously, take me back to the early 2000s. Lampard, Skulls, Gerrard, Stoke on a Tuesday night, Crouchy doing the robot. What the hell happened? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the question, isn't it, really? I'm amazed that Crouch Do doing the robot got in there. shows on that question. I really didn't think Crouch doing the robot was going to come up in relation to blue cards, but there you go. 
No, especially when that was rolled out at international level well, initially as well. Rather than, mm. Yeah, the first time, wasn't it, in, against Jamaica mm. in the pre... Well, oh, I see what you mean, yeah. right. Yeah. So he's uh, trying to think of, you know, league football and, and the Premier League. I mean, the final thing I'd say on it is that in terms of the descent side, if you really wanted to maybe kick that out for a, for a short period of time or for a season, maybe just try and... Give, just give a red card maybe for the, for the early occasions yeah, where yeah. that would occur and well, then they'd quickly they stop doing this it. this season by doing... Uh, yeah, um, more yellows. Sanctions for, for a descent and then as as with these things generally, within a week or two mm. kind of forgot and moved on. A bit like when you joined a gym, etc. on January. <laughs> I mean, I think the two things we're saying is that descent is a problem in football. I think mm. everyone accepts that. And I think it's also fair to say that with tactical fouling, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Right. I mm. don't know if this should be the punishment, but... It is natural people will look for something more. But the third problem with football, or possibly the fourth after Crouch, you're no longer doing the right <laughs> one, would be the fact that the rules are already too complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And if anything, rather than adding new ones on top, they should strip them back. And, uh, I don't know if they're too complicated, actually. I think they're just they too open to interpretation. So, but I suppose that tallies um, with your yeah. point. Get a better understanding of the actual rules now before adding new ones. Before adding new ones. Yeah, that's, that's my take. Excellent. All right. <laughs> Very good. But anyway, we don't have to worry about blue cards uh, which is a shame so that's where we will leave today's totally football show crystal palace chelsea on monday night before that we'll be recording the european totally show so do join us for that uh, many many thanks to mark for joining us today when have you got your tactics podcast uh we record every thursday on thursday um, so we'll probably be doing a review of the the European games from from right. midweek in the Champions League, and uh, yeah, all the exciting, as you say, all the exciting games from from the weekend just gone. Brilliant, excellent, and Michael, you'll be on that as well hey, in that what, chair. One last thing about the blue cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can't let it go. Do you, do you think it's because yeah. it doesn't fit into the traffic light system? No. You know, if it was orange cards, people would be like, I can see where you're coming from. I th- a blue I think... card, that just, to me, that screams police siren. Rather no, than I, I, as you say, the coverage has been completely irresponsible because even a cursory reading of the headli- of, the, of the news would have uh, enabled you to understand there was no threat of this coming in to disrupt the, your Super Sundays and that. But I think what, what there is is there's a general level of frustration and a feeling that things that were once one way have been kind of shifted almost kind of with sleight of hand a var has played a big role in this brought sure. in as one thing a trojan horse it's actually led to something quite different so now any kind of other little kind of these ifab these men in suits etc i think there's a great deal of suspicion and a little bit of kind of yeah everyone's a bit stressed ifab does need a bit of an overhaul i think yeah why do other nations not get annoyed that there's an english scottish irish and welsh represented there's only eight people on it and we get four of them. And we're ruining the rules for everyone. Who, who are the other four? They think they're just from the FIFA board. Okay. But I don't think it should be in our hands. We, mm. you know. No, so, not so. when you look at the way we've handled other decisions of late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, excellent. Anyway, many thanks to Mark and to Michael. Look forward to hearing that on Thursday. Looking forward to Tuesday's What the EFL. Uh, we'll be on Wednesday, Wednesday I think, uh, yeah. and a handbrake off. Handbrake I off. I mean, there's going to be a lot Has of gloating. Has the handbrake ever little... been more off than yeah. right now? <laughs> there's going to be a lot of gloating. It, it could, could, uh, could be fun for Gooners to listen to uh, on Monday, but maybe not one for non-Arsenal fans. Well, why not get a window? into Arteta's world. Magnificent. Many thanks to Charlie in the booth and you for listening. We'll be back soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.